Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith, and this week I have a kind of double treat for you, not just because my guests, Adam Safati and Ace Runis, are co-founders of a sustainable brand, but because they've started up two sustainable brands, Threadheads and Heaps Good Packaging. On the one hand, we've got Heaps Good, a sustainable packaging company, as they describe it, that helps to put the eco into e-commerce. It's a business that's built from the ground up to make a difference. And on the other hand, we've got Threadheads, a 2020s phenomenon in pop culture apparel, making conscious choices across their business to run things more sustainably. Now, if that wasn't enough fodder for the show, the actual reason I asked them to join me was that collectively, they've completed not one, but two equity crowdfunding campaigns in 2022 and i simply couldn't think of more experienced people to ask for top tips on ways to use that channel to raise capital for your own eco-friendly brand we actually ended up chatting about all sorts of stuff and because they couldn't help themselves but dangle enticing tidbits of information as we were chatting there's literally gold all the way through this so with that let's start the show Adam and Ace, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us on. It's not only a pleasure, I am also very excited to pick apart your stories today because what an incredible couple of journeys you've been having together, both with Threadheads and Heaps Good Packaging. So I want to pack apart all all of that today and unpick it uh, for the pleasure of the listeners because there's heaps and heaps of really good lessons in here. But obviously what we like to do is we like to start with some founder stories and so I'd like to wind back the clock, if that's okay, to when you first started. I'm pretty sure in saying it was Threadheads first, right? Correct. So tell us a little bit about how that whole vehicle got going, Ace. Well, interestingly enough, it was actually through Adam. Um, we have a, a, a friend uh, named Marcus that he worked together with uh, actually at our dad's company, uh, Zaz, many years back. And um Adam, basically, long story short, Adam told me that he was uh, currently looking to start a, a T-shirt, you know, graphic T-shirt e-commerce business. Uh, and so I was into digital marketing at that time. I was living overseas uh, briefly, and uh, Adam was as well, actually, in different countries. Um, and Adam told me about this project, and so I, w- I was on my way back to Melbourne. I met up with Marcus, and we we started working on what would eventually become Threadheads, and that was mid twenty eighteen. I mean, the the first couple of years were, were pretty slow. It was it was a grind, definitely, as all fledgling e commerce businesses are. You know, you, you're doing you're wearing many different hats. You're involving yourself in uh, all, all aspects of the business, whether it's operations, marketing, finance, product. And so it was just this process of learning and, and you know, most of it was, you know, self-taught um, when it comes to digital marketing, whether it's SEO or uh, Facebook ads, Google ads, um, email, that entire digital landscape, I, I learned myself um, just through YouTube and all the resources I could get my hands on. And that coupled with Marcus's interest in popular culture and, and the graphic t-shirt industry just proved to be synergistic and, and we went from strength to strength and started, we exploded in 20, 2020, we did $4 million in revenue and then 2021, we did $13 million in revenue. So yeah, it's been, it's been a roller coaster. 
So, so you basically completely stole the idea of Adam. How do you feel about that, Adam? That's like, he's sitting there very quietly going, yeah, yeah, that's all cool. How do you feel about that? That's okay. Look, I think um, a part of part of that was, you know, in, in a way why we, we sort of did heaps good because we knew we wanted to do something together. Um, yeah. And I'm happy that they're both um, having great success and, and, and that we all are now. So it all, it all works out well. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just teasing. But, uh, but, but, so tell me. So, like, you started out. You, you knew something about digital marketing, and then you, and then you started slow. What do you think has been the catalyst for that literally hockey stick of growth that you've had in the last couple of years? I don't, don't, don't say COVID. That's a banned word. <laughs> so COVID definitely accelerated <laughs> the process. <laughs> um, created a lot of winners. COVID. I think if you're doing the right stuff at the time the pandemic hit then it really gave you this surge of momentum that we sort of carried on 2020-21. So we're fortunate around that. But I think like the main thing would be kind of from a marketing perspective and growth perspective, leaning into the future, thinking about how consumers are choosing to shop and what sort of channels you would use to reach them pretty much summarizes everything we do. Like, you know, and that's for Threadheads and Heatscript. There is a bit of similarity, even though, you know, Heatscript's obviously a B2B company and Threadheads um, B2C. We reach customers surprisingly through similar channels, um, whether it be Facebook, Google, organic search, email to, to keep in touch with them. So I think it's about leaning into the future and sort of seeing where things were going. And we, we're both, you know, they're both direct-to-consumer brands, essentially. That's how we built them out. And that's where a lot of our expertise lies. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. I do want to come back to that in a moment since you've raised, since you've opened the door to the differences between B2B and B2C and how you perceive uh, heaps good as well, I suppose. Um, you know, you said it's a direct-to-consumer business. That's, that's very interesting. I hadn't really thought of it that way. But coming back to it, what is the connection? Like, how did you get, how did you jump from the Threadheads thing? What was the impetus to then come and do heaps good? So um, at the time, I was looking for compostable packaging. Uh, and Adam is a bit of a product guru. He's constantly looking for, for products and thinking about products. And he actually called me up and was like, hey, I'm looking at these compostable mailers. You know, there's not much out there. From there, we were like, well, you know, maybe we should do this. And we started researching the product, thinking about, you know, whether that we thought there'd be product market fit, whether Australia was ready for, you know, compostable packaging. And it that that's where it started. I remember, you know, standing and being on the phone in exactly the place I was standing in our first little shop, you know, which is in a, embedded in a train station. It used to be a massage parlor. <laughs> a Saturday morning, I believe. You know, yeah. And I was there on I was there on weekends. You know, you work in uh, you know eighty hour plus weeks, um, and that that was the the genesis for heaps good. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, Adam, what prompted you to start thinking about sustainable packaging or compostable packaging at the time? What was it that gave you that thought? Um. Look, I cut my teeth, I guess, at a in ecom in the early days at a, at Zaz, which was our father's company, and, and done a lot of different things there as we sort of scaled and, and grew in a really different ecom sort of world than than what we have now. Um. And, and I'd spent a bit of time overseas, and and look, I'd always been interested in, in sustainability, and I think. For me, if I was going to start another business or, or create a business, it, it always had to have some sort of tangible benefit to the planet in that way. Otherwise, I, I didn't really see the need or the excitement for it. So I think that was really sort of part of it. And I was just looking for products, um, which is something I sort of just do or, or look out there about what's what's available and, and, and what's going on in the market. And yeah, as Ace sort of explained, he was looking at it at the same time and it just sort of stumbled upon, upon that. And I don't think we had the expectation that we were going to have 16 products in our store, which is where we're at now after two years. Um, I think early on we we came out with one product and, and sort of had the idea that maybe we're going to be a one product store, which changed pretty rapidly um, with the needs of sort of the public and, and what they were demanding. 
And so often the case, like, I mean, you look at even big companies in different, you know, completely different spaces. Let's take Google, for example. They started with their search product. They didn't even do advertising at the beginning. So Google ads came out later. Then, you know, obviously they've done Chrome, they've done Gmail, they've got YouTube through acquisition. So you, you never, with strategy, it's almost like you always, you just do things and then you you figure it out as you go along and you get other ideas. And yeah, now, as Adam said, we're a 16 product store. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, you know, purpose of every business is to serve a customer. And if the customer needs other things, then, then it's your job to try and provide those, right? And and from an economics point of view, it's darn hard to actually make profit if you're just selling the, the exact same thing every single time to a customer. You've got to branch out. You've got to go off them more things to increase that kind of customer lifetime value, as, as, you, as you well know. So let's just go back, though, because you, you started to open the door to that interesting discussion around B2B versus B2C and, and what Heaps Good really is. So Adam, tell me a little bit more about that. How do you actually see Heaps Good Packaging? Is it business to customer or is it business to business? How do you how do you position it? It's an interesting one. Eh? How, how, how do you sort of, because we are a very mixed, um, almost in between. We're, we're definitely B2B, but at the same time, we're direct to consumer in that sense. So it's a, it's an interesting um, sort of mix. Again, again, it probably comes down to where you think your audience resides. And I mean, in most cases, even if you are operating it, e-commerce business you're still on facebook instagram increasingly tiktok and, and and pinterest and some other channels you're probably researching about how to grow your business on youtube so it's a great touch point and so i think you know if you're searching for a specific uh, solution to a problem you have for your e-commerce business say you need some more sustainable packaging you're going to google that and so we just, we're just you know we're putting ourselves where customers are looking for things or where they're learning about things and so really very similar in that way where positioning changes so targeting is quite similar segmentation targeting etc you know in terms of the location of you know what what your media placement and stuff like that but positioning and messaging is different and so it's it's a, a different audience in terms of what their needs are and and we tailor our messaging that way we, you know threadheads is going to be more quirky silly heaps good is still quirky i mean adam's tried to really inject that into our yeah. brand voice but at the same time we are solving real problems and so you you'll have more longer form copy you'll have there's more there's more involvement in the decision making process higher consideration so just adjustments around that rather than necessarily the the, the channels or vehicles used to reach uh, your audience and maybe slightly more technical products so that, you know, those, those explanations are needed to, to sort of, yeah, pad it out a little bit. Um, but I think, yeah, exactly what you said. It, it's definitely about that. I like the way that you are using very kind of um, approachable uh, language, approachable fonts. You, you've made the whole heaps good face. It's a very friendly interface. It's very important. Packaging is inherently not sexy. So I think for us, it was it was important to make packaging um, exciting and, and look sustainability exciting as well you, you want to have a, a good experience and, and I'm glad that comes across and that you you feel that as well yeah no 100% and now that you've kind of like unpacked it I can see that well I'm going to guess that a lot of your business customers are I mean essentially small brands they are brands you know working the coffee for their, building their own you know founder-led brands building their own businesses and therefore they're individuals they're consumers as well as they are business owners as opposed to huge corporates that you're supplying into is that is that fair yeah that's correct and 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 in fact like so many of those smaller brands that started out with us they've grown into medium-sized brands i mean threadheads was a yeah. very small company when it placed its first order we weren't even you know um buying custom mailers from uh, heaps good in the beginning so you know, a lot of brands have grown with us and um, we've been able to 
maintain some relationships with, with those companies. I, th- I think you'll service a more medium to larger size uh, business market in the future, but we're definitely small to medium. So how long exactly has Heaps Good been going? It's just over two years now. So we started, yeah, exactly. Just over two two months and two years at this point. Okay. Well, congratulations on, on the success in that time for num- number one. But I'm interested, how has customer demand shifted in that time? Have you seen, are people asking for different things now than they were two years ago? What's changed? Yeah, definitely. And I think, and that's part of sort of our uh, evolution of the range of products that we do offer on site um, and and sort of leaning into exactly what they're looking for with the sustainability at at the core of it. Because, you know, when we go and we look for products, we source, we develop products, that has to be sort of the core of what we're doing. So, um, you know, how the the product can, you know, be disposed of and how the the full life cycle is is really important. So, yeah, I think whether it was customization with, you know, stickers and cards and things like that that we've just added, um, there's just a whole range of sustainable items that our customers are really demanding. And and, and that has shifted because... I think in the, in the early days, there wasn't um, necessarily the, the want or, 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 or customers looking for it, but they knew that uh, at the same time, it's definitely consumer driven. We've been very lucky in that um, we've, we've brought out a product at the right time, but it's driven by the public. We wouldn't mm. be able to sell it otherwise. Yeah, that's right. Have you looked into branding your your packaging for for businesses? Is that something that you do already? Definitely. Yeah, we definitely do custom packaging. Um, Threadheads do it. We do it for some of our larger clients. It's one of those things where... Um, there's some factors involved, in, including waste and, and things that we need mm. to consider around price. So, so volumes are pretty important. Um, but for customers that can hit those volume breaks, we definitely offer custom packaging. And it's probably an area that we'll start pushing a little bit harder on now and going after some of those larger clients now that we have that capital from our, our raise as well. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Okay, that's that's really interesting. So you you mentioned coming just still sticking on this topic. So I think it's really fascinating. You mentioned something. You know, you essentially you you perceive the business to be very similar. You're you're fishing in the same ponds when it comes to the digital marketing, but your messaging is different. So what's essence of that? And especially what what I find interesting with the heaps good thing is you've got clearly consumers and clearly be uh, business uh, buyers as well. So how do you separate those two things? How do you get that different set of messages? Or out on the same place to two very different communities of people. Well, I think there's there's one point on that that's really important. Firstly, is that you have to determine when you're starting an e-commerce business whether the product you're offering um, is demand generating or demand satisfying. And there's a few terms thrown around um, to describe that. But are people actively looking for your product, or do you need to put your product in front of them, like you would through Facebook ads, for example, to see if they might be interested or didn't know that they needed the product. And we're quite fortunate with both Heaps Good and Threadheads that they, they're both demand generating and satisfying. We're actually able with, and you wouldn't think this with packaging, to, to, to put ourselves in front of customers and actually say, hey, you, you actually might need this or you actually might like this or this can improve. Using plastic mailers will make the switch from plastic. That's a great example. And that was our first ad. It was still using plastic, make the switch today and essentially, you know, you won't feel as guilty about sending out your products. And that was a problem everyone mm. faced. That was literally what I went through. I was like, oh, I'm putting everything in these Post mailers. First of all, they look ugly. But second, I, I don't think customers are going to be happy receiving this because there is, you know, as Adam touched on earlier, this push that, mm. that is consumer-led establishes perceptions around your brand. I, and, you know, they want that alignment between their values and, uh, you know, their mm. purchasing behavior. So, um, and the brands they choose to purchase from, I should say. So 
I think, you know, the, the messaging is really, with Heaps Good, the difference is Heaps Good is solving a real problem. Threadheads is more experiential. So it's more about fun, nostalgia. Yes, sustainability will be factored into that, but it's not the primary message. With Heaps Good, mm-hmm. it's, hey, this is a problem. We're trying to fix it. Jump on board with us and be part of the solution, not the pollution. <laughs> to be cliche. I might start using that myself. I'm definitely going to steal that. <laughs> feel free, feel free. <laughs> What's interesting about that about that comment is that what you've just described is, you know, on the one hand, you've got a mixed B2B, B2C business in, in heaps good that is essentially purpose-driven. And so sustainability is by essence built into what, everything that you're doing, the materials you're choosing, the products, the way you're delivering it, all that stuff. And then you've got an entirely different consumer brand that it, that is looking to do better in, in all the dimensions. And so maybe tell us a little bit about that journey because you, you touched on it in the sense that you, you were first started to think about sustainable packaging and, and compostable packaging, but that's not the essence of what the brand is about. The essence is about nostalgia. So tell us about that journey and, and the other things that you've done in the sustainability space because I think this would be a, a journey that most brands honestly are on. How do we do things better? Yeah, correct. So not all brands have at the core of their value proposition that they're solving an environmental problem. Uh, And and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, for Threadheads, the the biggest piece around sustainability is the idea that fast fashion isn't the right way to do things. So, you know, this intense seasonality where you have changeover of merchandise Mm. based on demands that you've created actually month on month throughout a year is intense and leads to a tremendous amount of waste. Now, that with Threadheads, it's the complete opposite. It's slow fashion. You know, you, you're only producing what you need to satisfy the customer's demand. And also, these garments are made to last. So the idea that we went for a slightly more premium T-shirt, hoodie, et cetera, that would last a lot longer. And so you wouldn't have to, you know, it wouldn't fall apart and you'd have to buy it again. You know, there's no planned obsolescence with our product. So I think that that was the starting point. And then it was uh, those small issues that you face, whether it's sending your, your products in plastic, whether it's in part of our production process, there would be unnecessary use of uh, single-use plastics that we try to eliminate from that. Um, even the partners we work with, AS Colour, will use uh, you know, water-activated tape instead of they used to use plastic tape. Um, that, that for their inner bags, they sometimes use, they don't use plastic ones, they use compostable ones. So it's it's the partners you work with and stakeholders in the business, um, but then it's also your internal processes uh, and then also how you front up to the, the consumer too. So I think that it's just a process of identifying environmental issues that are part of your business model. They might be inherent. Um, it, for some businesses, a lot harder. For ours, we were quite fortunate in many respects. I like the the deliberate nature which you describe all those things. Though you're saying you you know you're you're looking for opportunities with with the with the suppliers, you, you know, right down to what they're packaging their goods in as it's sent to you, but also presumably the materials that they're using. You've you've baked into your production process the fact that you're not overproducing, so you're, you're sort of printing on demand the t-shirts. What's yeah. next though? Like, have you got have you got more things mapped out to keep doing that better? Yeah, so like at the moment, we're just talking, um, we, we don't own our own premises um, yet. We will one day, uh, but we're talking to the owner about uh, solar panels on the roof because okay. it's an energy intensive operation. And so we would love to power it all through through solar. We're looking at increasing our commitment to carbon offsets around shipping. So I think that's a big one. I think the the transportation of goods is huge. And then also 
we're working on localizing uh, our production centers. So by having production centers that are closer to the end consumer, uh, the goods tra- you have to travel less, and so you don't emit as much carbon as a result. So there, there's a few things around carbon that I'm interested in tackling, uh, and then we'll continue. There's just a few things in our production process that we're still using some single-use paper that I want to get rid of. So it's just those small pieces that they add up though you know so yeah. it's, it's just got to tackle them one by one and when and certainly when you get to your sort of volume they really do add up very very quickly correct so even even small changes you can make actually have a big incremental effect don't they so they do so that so that's really really cool you talked about quality there for a minute and obviously quality is essential to sustainability as well but the way I always measure quality is through other people's opinions. I always measure it through reviews because when you're buying something online, you can't really tell whether it's going to be good. You know, the picture looks lovely, but when you get it, it's going to be how good is it going to be? So one of the things that I've observed from both of your, or both sites, I should say, both Heaps Good and Threadheads, is that you obviously have placed quite a considerable focus on gathering social proof reviews in particular. You've got very high review counts on some of your products, which is great to see because I'm lecturing people all day, every day about the importance of getting social proof. Can you tell us a little bit about your your approach to that? Like how, how do you garner all of that social proof coming back? Sure. I mean, look, we started with, with uh, uh, I guess, with JudgeMe, which is uh, the, the, the software that we were using or the app that we were using in, in the beginning to, to garner reviews. And, and, and it's a pretty simple system where emails go out um, to customers. Obviously, you want to tailor those emails um, in a certain way. And, and we did do that. They were personal and they were, um, you know, quirky in, in the way that we write. So that was, you know, part of having the, the tone of voice there that was, was, was helping us. And, and look, just we, we've changed our system. We now use Okendo. Um, full disclosure, that's what we're on now. And it's, it's great working for us really well. There's some other benefits to that. You probably see that when you're in search, you can see some of the, um, the ratings on, on some of our um, products as well that, that show up, which is really, really helpful. But that social proof has definitely been really, really important for us. And, and, and I guess just sort of part of the, the customer service. We're really, really, for us, we, we stand behind our products. It's, it's super important to us that our customers have a, a fantastic experience and we go um, above and beyond to make sure of that. And, and, and I guess that shows with all the reviews. Yeah. I mean, so, so typical review rate is about 5% of sales. Is that what you experience or have you, have you amplified that? In that ballpark, I mean, there's a difference between JudgeMe and Akendo in that JudgeMe sends a review request to uh, recurring customers or repeat customers, whereas Akendo doesn't, only sends it to new customers, which I think is probably a fairer representation of, you know, the the ratings around your products. I I think I wouldn't be sure on the exact percentage, but we have been increasing it. You know, we do things like uh, coupon codes to reward people who review. We mm. are trying to get more image and video content, so more user-generated content, and Akendo is a good vehicle for that. As Adam touched on, uh, you know, also pushing those reviews to Google seller ratings, which is what you're seeing in the search ads, the text-based ads, and then also to yeah. Google shopping ads as well, as well as our organic listings, which also have our reviews pushed there. So yeah. it really is about getting that social proof at all those touch points. Google is great because people are making you know, a decision in that moment on what to go with and they see all the reviews that we have. And that's ultimately comes down to what Adam said, though, customer experience. And you know, I think we, with both businesses, we're just zealous on providing an exceptional customer experience. And I think Heaps Good probably does that even a bit better than Threadheads does now because, you know, Adam's investing in like, but all these all these great products for in- enhancing the customer experience. We're also smaller. It's probably easier. It's, it, might, it might be harder as you scale, but look, it's for us, it's it's just so important. We want, because, we, you know, I guess the AOV is probably higher with us and, and customers are spending a little bit more. Um, there's printers and there's things that do need 
a level of support. Uh, we'll get on the phones, we'll, we'll walk customers through the installation and make sure they're set up and ready to go, which is a service that most people don't provide. Yeah, service is absolutely critical uh, from that point of view, isn't it? And, and but let's be honest, having a great product is really important as well because it has to start. Uh, you can't, yeah, you cannot, you cannot get good reviews if you've got a crap product. It's as simple as that. So, um, so, uh, you know, congratulations on for both brands of having, you know, a really terrific product and really terrific service. And it shows, it, it clearly is showing in, in the back end of that. You mentioned though about customers and customers are obviously the lifeblood. And what I like about that is that you've recently gone through a round of fundraising based off your customers. You know, you've gone, you've gone through, uh, if, if for anyone that doesn't know, they've gone through equity crowdfunding, which basically means they've acquired a whole bunch of investors who are their customers to come on board and take a small slice of the pie. Now, collectively, you've done this twice now, uh, which makes you worldwide experts. <laughs> and, so, and so I was hoping that I could pick your brains about that. So firstly, when do you think is a good time to jump into the crowdfunding space? When do you think, when, when the evolution of your brand is a good time? It's an interesting question. It's one that we tossed up um, probably for the last year and a half. And, and in hindsight, you know, maybe could have gone earlier looking at, you know, the current economic climate. And, and you know, if we'd done it a year ago, where we could have been as a business. But look, I think ultimately for us, the, the, the time that we waited was probably the right time because we, we grew our business and, and we went into it with, you know, some, some really nice numbers um, and some real growth. So I think I think it's definitely important to do that, um, and, and and I think we timed it well. But yeah, it would have been lovely to have you know had that funding and been able to sort of use that to to find that rapid growth during this last sort of uh, crazy phase of 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 ecom sort of business growing. Yeah, I think I think you're right though in the sense that uh, you know like it is ultimately it's an investment decision, isn't it? Even if it's a relatively small investment from a consumer point of view, and so numbers tell the story of whether that's going to be a compelling investment or not at the end of the day. So you've got to show some momentum. So Ace, you're going to jump in. Yeah, I mean, I think it can work very much for early stage companies as well. I mean, if you are going in as an early stage company, you will have to give up more of your business because you know you'll have a lower valuation, um, and depending on how much funding you need. That can be, I think, a viable option. You know, you would do, I think if you're starting a business or you have a, you know, a, a concept, it was very common that you go to VC uh, if you're doing a SaaS product, for example, and you, you, you know, just have your, your first MVP of that product. It's not actually even uh, in the market potentially. So I think you can do that with equity crowdfunding. I think you'd also look at a mixture of debt and equity because if you just go with debt, it, obviously there's higher risk if things don't go as you'd planned. But uh, you don't have to give up, you know, all of your business, um, and that's something that you would consider as well. So I think it has to be a balance in that early stage. And then, yeah, if you're, if you're, the the, the whole point this equity crowdfunding exists, the, the I guess the need for it in the market is that companies that are too small that aren't in SaaS, let's say, to go to VC or go to private equity suddenly have a funding option and that's where it makes sense now and it may be some of these companies that have been given access to this capital heaps good and threadheads are great examples can go on to become very large companies and um all of those uh investors uh, uh, benefit from it whereas with private and vc well the only people investing there they've got a tremendous amount of money to begin with so it, it does have this democratization uh, of access to capital and also who can who can invest. Um, and I think if it's regulated and, and managed in the correct way by both, you know, regulatory bodies, but also the intermediaries like virtual that uh, provide that uh, platform, then it will be here to stay for the long term. Yeah, I, I must admit, I do think it's an absolutely brilliant model, you know, it, as a way of uh, sourcing funds. So how did you prepare 
for for launch day what did you what did you do what does that process look like it's it's arduous it, it took us i mean for heaps but it took us a lot longer than we wanted i think we started planning six to seven months before we actually did it um we were a small company with with not sort of the the staff you know around us and support so we really had to do most of the work ourselves there was what three or four of us at that point in time so um yeah it was it was a huge job um you start off sort of scripting your your offer document then you've got you know the, the video process which was um new to us and, and i guess a lot of fun and, and a huge challenge which took a couple of weeks to actually shoot the editing process but by the time you actually get there it, it, it's sort of a, a pretty, you know, pretty, pretty big eight weeks, yeah. but you know, you, you push, you push, <laughs> you, put, you push through it. Like it's, it's, it's definitely a really interesting process. It is a great way to raise capital. And I think we'd, you know, we'd definitely look at it again in, in the future, but very happy also to get back to business because it is a distraction from yeah. running your day-to-day business, unfortunately. Yeah. Ace, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, having to do two of them now, it is a big distraction. I'm like just really over the last few days, it's just been a relief being able to work on Threadheads and Heaps Good and not have to think about, you know, this other thing that's completely separate. Now, there are similarities. The main similarities is that it is essentially, um, it's the case that you're running a digital marketing program. How do you actually reach all of these potential investors, these prospects? Well, you know, you have your your list, your email list, so you can reach them through email. Um, you have uh, Facebook ads and, and other media that you can reach them through. And you really, I mean, you, you do SMS, but that goes into that email bucket, very similar. That's literally how you get investors. Mm. And so, so we were doing a lot of what we already knew really well. And that's why I think it's a really great opportunity for digital businesses, e-commerce business, direct-to-consumer, SaaS companies, et cetera, that have their audiences on the internet to use this method of funding but yeah it, it is a distraction as adam said and the main difference i think is that you i mean and really the only difference in that sense is you do spend a lot of time on the phones because one of the processes that's involved with virtual is that you do get to speak to everybody who, who wants to talk to you um, and you try to speak to as many of the investors as you can um, and, and customers hopefully because you get to really get some great feedback on your, your, your company um, so that process is a little bit different but it is a, a big part of it and you do need to spend a huge chunk of time on the phone so it's probably something that people don't necessarily realize when they're coming into it yeah i, I was going to ask what, what is what is so distracting about the whole the whole process it, it, it's that part is it? it's not so much the preparation of the market automated marketing it's the actual uh, constant interaction with potential investors that coupled with the marketing because you are pushing out you know essentially you're doing double or triple what you would normally do on top of your day-to-day business operations which need to still run in, in the same capacity yeah. as they were before um so it's just a combination of those it is and, and the first part like you have a three-week period at the start it's called the expression of interest phase and really what that is is the list building exercise is to see how many people are actually interested in your offer? You know, you don't have all of the final details locked in yet, what your valuation is going to be, how much you're going to raise, et cetera. So the idea is, is there interest? You build up that list. You keep nurturing the list, talking to them about how to invest, you know, why they should invest, et cetera. You know, jump on board with us and let's do this. Then when you get to the launch day, you know, it, it's bookended. The first day is the most important by far. Um, we have that excitement around the opportunity and then it, It'll, if you if you sell out the offer, that's great. But if you don't, it'll slow down and it'll sort of just you know peter along, and then it will pick up just at the end because there's that um, urgency factor as the countdown time is going down. It's the last chance people will have to invest. So it's really that process. You know, you have three weeks of EOI, and then you have about two to three weeks of that offer period being live unless you sell out your offer. So that's where, it, where it's really important to set your minimum or, or maximum target to you, you want it to be in a range that makes sense based on how many expression of interests you have. 
Um, and and that's that's the whole uh, process, basically. So you do have to cap it, right? From an investor protection point of view, yeah, you, you have to say this is this is the maximum we're going for. So that's that's how dilute your investment will be. Correct. Yeah, and that needs yeah. to be in your offer document and and everything, so yeah. it's fully regulated. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And so, do you have a sense? You know, going back to the marketing piece, do you have a sense of how much interest, stroke EOIs, stroke actual investment you guys generated through your own marketing activity, as opposed to what Virtual brought you through their network and their and their mailing lists? I mean, Adam would have an opinion. I'd say this ninety percent us, maybe ten percent, right. maybe or maybe it's in Pareto's rule. Let's go eighty twenty. But I think it'd be closer mm-hmm. to ninety ten. Like if you're not prepared to market it. You wouldn't want to go on virtual. You'll you'll struggle. You need to have a, a program ready to go. Correct, but it also has to, it has to be about your customer base, and and, yeah. and and I think that's what's exciting for us. Also, being a purpose led business, that we realise that when you know people are getting on board, that means that change is being led by you know the consumers, the bottom up, so to speak. Which which is the only way that we see that sort of change um, happening in the future. So I think that's the really exciting part, but definitely you need that customer base. Um, and without that as well, it, it, it can be very difficult. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's, that's a really strong indicator right there, isn't it? That, that you do need to, it, while it, while it can work for absolute startups, it is better to have some traction in the marketplace and a customer base to leverage off uh, to make that part work as well. Unless your idea is just insanely good and no one's thought of it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if you bring that, that you have a chance, but yeah, you do want some runs on the board. I mean, you know, collectively, Heaps Good and Threadheads raised over $3 million. And so we wouldn't have been able to do that without yeah. our, our customers. They, they were critical in getting that early yeah, momentum absolutely. in both campaigns. Yeah, and they made a substantial amount of, of you know, sort of the investors in, in our campaign. So it was um, it was really pleasing, exciting to see that. It's exciting to have everybody on the journey with us. What sort of ratio did you get of EOIs to actually end up, end up investments in the end? Um, for Heaps Good, it was 30%-ish. I think it was almost one in three. Uh, for Threadheads, a... Uh, uh, probably 20 to 25%. Wow, that's way lower than I would have thought. That's interesting. You know, it depends on the means how you acquire those EOIs. So if you, you know, if you get them through Facebook ads, probably not, the leads aren't of the same quality. If they're from your email list, very high quality, they're probably converting at 80 plus percent. Yeah, very interesting insight. So thank you for that. So it really does pay off to work through and to keep that marketing pumping For and sure. the engagement pumping after the EOI process is closed because you, yep. you've still got all that hard work to do to convert people. Yeah, you still do. And, you know, again, you probably bookend it. You're, you know, a lot of your investment will be right at the start and you, a lot of it comes from your list there, your email and SMS. Correct. But then towards the end, that's where, you know, um, paid advertising can also kick it along because there is that urgency um, and there's so much social proof there, right? The 700K, let's say, already on the board or 1.5 million already invested in the company. Well, they must be doing something right. This company, I might have a look at it. Absolutely. Well, guys, we are coming to the end of our time together. And I hugely appreciate you sharing so deeply. What's next for Heaps Good and what's next for Threadheads in terms of your growth? For Heaps Good, we've just hired a, a bunch of staff, which is really exciting. Um, our, our in-house marketing team is, is just going to... Uh, take us to the next level. So that's that's really exciting. We've secured a new warehouse with with lots more space, which is uh, key because we've been working um, with the tiny, tiny space. So I think all of those things bode really well for the future. Um, we're going to have a, a lot of new products as well and sort of look at um, expanding into different areas that we're potentially not in at the moment. So um, yeah, really excited about all those. Yeah, I mean, for, for Threadheads, it's, um, you know, obviously we're a bit more internationalized at the moment. We're, we're you know, second biggest markets, uh, the UK and Europe. 
So we're just about to expand into the US. That'll be uh, live by middle of September, so just before Q4, which is good timing. And then we're diversifying our product range. We're moving into socks, uh, accessories. Adam actually helps us with that. He's, he's the product master, as I said. So we're, we're looking at those products rather than just being, uh, you know, T-shirts and apparel. More licenses. We've got, um, you know, working with a lot of different brands. We work with Warner Brothers, Sony, et cetera, um, and talking to a bunch of other brands. And, you know, we're trying to improve our business from a sustainability perspective. Um, uh, you know, we're, there's a lot of things going on. And then hiring more people. I think now across both businesses, you know, the, the exciting thing for Heapscoot is I kind of have learned from a mm. lot of my mistakes with Threadheads. So with Heaps Good, we're just like, I, like looking at how we've structured the team and everything, it's like, this is neat. You know, this is this is a well-organized um, group of people. And that's been really a positive thing. So um, yeah, both businesses have a really good future ahead for different reasons. Um, obviously, you know, competing and playing in totally different spaces. So yeah. Yep. What's the big learning you've taken out of structuring your team there? What's what's the thing that you've done there that you think is really cool? Okay, so content is definitely king, and that is the most cliche statement ever. But you know, make sure you have capabilities to write, to take photos, to shoot video. Something we really need to improve at Threadheads, um, and do all of those things well. I would say that is really important. And then you know, from a marketing standpoint, you're thinking, okay, well, we've got a graphic designer, we've got a copywriter, we've got these things. You you will hire marketers that are able to deploy that content, those assets across the different channels and also inform the design team, the copyright, et cetera, what's the purpose of this communication? What's where's the what's the why for, for these communications? And that is the the best mix you can have. Make sure you've got lots of content, then you've got people who are experienced and know how to distribute it and, and you'll do well. And that system around that, which we're starting to build really well um, using, you know, whether it's ClickUp or Asana or any of those type of um, management systems, I think is, is very important to sort of set your OKRs and, and really have it, you know, everybody able to view exactly what the task they're doing is and how it connects and interconnects with everybody else's. So um, save a lot of time for, for ourselves doing that as well. Yeah, no email internal communications ever. Correct. It's dead. <laughs> Just don't do that. Love that. Love that. Hate email. So uh, any, uh, yeah, we use Asana as well. So um, any anything that helps the team get organized is, is a brilliant tool as far as I'm concerned. Saves an enormous amount of time. So thank you guys both very much. Ace, Adam, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. It's been a wealth of knowledge and I think everyone's going to get heaps and heaps, pun intended, <laughs> of insights out of all that stuff. Uh, so best of luck uh, as you grow your business going forward. Thank you for having us on. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Back to Giles again for my top three takeouts. And firstly, we need to start talking about the equity raise. The key insight being get early investors on board from your email list to get the social proof and then follow up with paid media once there's traction. And even though you're using an equity platform like Virtual to manage the process, do realize that you're going to need to do most of the marketing and engagement to raise awareness, both for the EOI as well as converting those people into stakeholders yourselves. I think it was particularly interesting that you should expect between 25 and 30% conversion from EOI to actual paid up investors, which raises the importance of continuing to engage and market all the way through. Secondly, there were some great observations from Ace on what you need to do if you're planning on running your social media and paid media in-house. 
For it to turn into a customer acquisition engine room, you need heaps of content. And that means that one way or another, you need the capability in-house to write copy, to take photos, to make video, and create appealing graphics, as well as the standard skills of running posts, scheduling, and using the ad management tools. And honestly, in my experience, this is where most entrepreneurs go wrong when deciding to run ads themselves. It really isn't just about creating an ad and hoping it works. Creative is everything, now more so than ever. So if you're looking at cutting ties with an agency you're running at the moment to save on management fees, consider whether you really do have sufficient capability in-house to be a content machine. And if you don't, maybe take a fresh look at cost effectiveness of all that before you do pull any triggers. I also love the way Adam talked about making sustainability approachable, friendly, and even, dare I say it, fun and exciting. The impact of what your brand is doing can easily come across dull and corporate, but the most engaged brands I've seen take a lighthearted approach to the impact they're having, and they take the liberty to have a little fun with it. And I, for one, know that I much prefer receiving updates from brands that make me smile and laugh. And this week, again, I'm going to have to add a fourth item to my top three. Both brands maintain a heavy focus on getting reviews and social proof. But the important point is that the bedrock for their very successful review program is the level of service they deliver. They are fanatical about making sure the service the brands provide delivers an outstanding customer experience. And Adam recognized that the more complex your product, the higher the service level needs to be. If you're selling a bar of soap, maybe just a nice email is cool. But if you're selling a circular personal care product, you probably need to think about adding some layers of support, perhaps a welcome call to explain the process. That kind of attention is memorable, appreciated, and I think actually a necessary part of helping your customer do better for the planet as well. So I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Adam and Ace. If you're in the market for sustainable packaging, you can check them out at heapsgoodpackaging.com.au. And if pop culture t-shirts and apparel is your vibe, check out threadheads.com.au. I'll be back with you again next week with another inspiring founder interview from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet. <laughs>